1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the, the opportunity we had this morning. We have this morning to gather together and to worship you, Lord. Um, Lord, we just thank you for the time of worship we've already had and uh, for the time of teaching that we that we're about to enter into. Lord, we just pray that uh, as Reed, Reed preaches the word to us, Lord, that you fill him with your spirit, Lord, and that you uh, give us ears to hear that and that we uh, hear what you want us to learn this morning. Amen. As usual, I'm excited to teach the word this morning. Uh, we're starting a new book, First uh, Timothy. And the book that we are beginning this morning, of course, was written by the Apostle Paul to a rare and precious man named Timothy. Paul called Timothy my true child in the faith. Although Timothy was already saved when he met Paul, Timothy still regarded Paul as his spiritual father, and Paul regarded Timothy as his spiritual son. And Paul's devotion, I'm sorry, Timothy's devotion to Paul and to Christ earned Timothy some very high praise. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, I have no one else like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So Timothy's devotion to Christ was shown by his concern for the welfare of Christ's people even above his own interests. And this devotion or that kind of devotion should be common among Christians and yet Paul said he rarely found people like Timothy. Paul went on to say in that same chapter in Philippians, you know his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. I hope that you have a desire to be like Timothy. I hope that you have a desire to have these things said about you and said about your service to the Lord. Timothy paid the ultimate price for his faithfulness to Christ. He died a martyr's death like the 12 apostles. 
according to the earliest church historian Eusebius and Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, Timothy was clubbed to death by a mob in Ephesus after he denounced the worship of the Greek goddess Diana. Because Timothy was such a faithful man, Paul could rely on him to represent him and to speak on his behalf when he could not be present. And this was a situation surrounding the book of 1 Timothy. God had led Paul onto Macedonia, and yet there were some important issues that needed to be addressed at Ephesus. And so Paul told Timothy, or he urged Timothy, to remain there so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than God's administration or advancing God's work, which is by faith. So there apparently at Ephesus was an obsessive interest in Jewish genealogies, and we don't know fully what this was all about, but apparently there was an obsessive interest in these genealogies and finding some kind of hidden spiritual meaning or messages in them, or making up stories about people in the genealogies, which Paul called myths, or claiming special spiritual status by finding a link or a connection to certain tribes or families in the genealogy. Well, all of that might be very interesting and fascinating, and Paul called these endless genealogies, and it seems like by implication he was implying that there is endless interest in these genealogies. And that, that, again, might be interesting, but all that kind of thing does is distract people from the real work of God and the real goal of God for us. Paul said the real work of God or the real administration of God, the real plan of God is furthered or promoted by faith. And he said the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But some of your teachers have turned aside from these things, from these things that matter to meaningless talk. You know, in another place, Paul said, the kingdom of God does not consist of words, but of power. God has given us a spirit of power and of love. And for some, the Christian life, instead of power and love, is merely information, words, arguments about various positions or beliefs. And Paul said, no, it is essentially a life of faith with the goal of loving God and loving other people from a pure heart. Sound doctrine is that Christ died for our sins. He died to forgive our sins by his blood and to restore us to fellowship or intimacy, intimate, intimate communication with God and to make us new people by sending his spirit inside of us, into our hearts. We are cleansed of sin by the blood of Jesus to become a dwelling place for God. We each become a holy place, a temple 
a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Sound doctrine is that we receive both the forgiveness of our sins and the Holy Spirit by faith. You cannot receive any of these things by works or by being good enough. Uh, Paul said in Titus 3, 5, and 6, he saved us, God saved us, not because of works, our works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ our Savior. So we are washed, we are made new by the Holy Spirit, who is poured out upon us simply by trusting in Jesus as a free gift. Sound doctrine teaches us that the primary fruit of this new life is love. It's not the only thing, but the primary fruit of this new life is love. We begin to love God and to love other people. Romans 8, all things work together for who? Those who love God. That's a description of who we are and what we are now as new people in Christ. We begin to love God and we begin to love other people. By placing our faith in Jesus, miraculously we come into fellowship with God and the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we begin to love with God's love. Love is the goal and love is the fruit of sound doctrine in your life. So Paul begins by telling Timothy to instruct certain men not to teach any different doctrine, or some translations say strange doctrine. We must always ask ourselves about anything that we hear. Does this teaching sound like or does it line up with the same thing that Paul and Peter and John and the other New Testament authors wrote in the scriptures or wrote in their letters to the churches? Or is this strange or different from the core message of the apostles or from, in other words, from the core message of the Bible? So Paul says, instruct these men not to teach any different doctrine and also tell them not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations. Some people love to talk about things that are either not in the Bible or were never meant to be the core message of the Bible or they simply love to focus on things that God has not fully revealed or made clear to us yet. They promote speculation. Uh, the word used here for speculation or it's translated speculation in the ESV could be translated as meaningless or controversial questions, debates, or arguments. I love the King James Version here. It says, they give heed to things which minister questions. Some people minister questions. That's their ministry. And Paul says that's not a good thing. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to ask questions. But some people focus mainly on things at the, in the Bible that are either not clear to us or that we don't understand yet. 
The Bible does say, I think it's Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that he has revealed belong to us and to our children forever. The implication is that there are secret things that still belong to the Lord our God, and we're not going to be able to figure out those things yet. So we are to focus on the things that he has revealed to us Those are the things that belong to us and to our children forever. In other words, we don't know everything yet. Being obsessed with resolving unresolvable questions can keep you from God's purpose and goal for your life. Being obsessed with resolving or trying to resolve the goodness of God with evil and the horrible things that happen to people in this world or forever trying to analyze why someone or some people are not healed or stuck on questioning why God did something in the Bible that you just can't seem to understand. You can look into these things. You can study them even if if you want. They have a place, but they can deter us from the emphasis of our work and teaching. They can deter us from the goal of our instruction. One commentary said, all teaching must be judged by what it produces. And so we have to ask ourselves, is what we are talking about or listening to or reading is it producing faith and love or is it mainly pulling us into deep pulling us deeper into fruitless discussion or ideas or questions about things that we cannot even know for certain speculations as Paul calls them all teaching produces something all talk produces something either spiritual edification or emptiness And you can sense it in your spirit when the talk turns to meaningless words. You can sense it in your spirit. If you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you can sense it in your spirit when the talk turns to frivolous topics. It's like the spiritual edification immediately evaporates from the room. This is really a man versus God issue. On the one hand, there are human stories, human ideas, human theories, speculations that are unsubstantiated. They do not have the solid backing of God's word. They do not have the life of God's spirit in them. On the other hand, we have solid truth that is revealed by God, solid truth that has been breathed out by God and that it comes with the power and the spirit of, and life of God himself. Jesus said, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. There's a huge difference between the things that, like Jesus spoke, that are spirit and life and things that are just speculation and talk and arguments and meaningless words. Now, here's where I'm going to get into trouble. I think this passage can, should, and should be taken as a warning against 
many things. I think it should be taken as a warning against something called Bible numerology or finding secret messages encoded in numbers in the Bible. Or endlessly arguing about which translation of the Bible everybody should be using. And there are, some are better than others, no doubt, and there's a place for that. Or being consumed with debates about the actual day that Jesus was born or whether Christians should celebrate Christmas or Easter or how they should or shouldn't celebrate that. Or whether they should let their kids or grandkids trick or treat. Or becoming obsessed with certain theological debates that we will probably never fully understand until we are in heaven. And I'm thinking primarily about Calvinism, Arminianism, issues about having to do with the sovereignty of God. And I'm not saying that's not an important issue, but it can, de- it can devolve into just endless discussions and debates, and I've actually seen it shipwreck a few people's faith by never being able to get unstuck off of that because they couldn't figure it out. Now, we can learn about those things. We can have opinions about all of those things, but we must be careful not to be diverted from God's true word, true word. Paul said these teachers, they promote speculation or speculative things rather than promoting the stewardship or administration or the work of God or the plan of God that is by faith. So there's not only the problem that these different teachings or ideas or speculations it's it's there's not only a problem with those speculations themselves there is a problem with what they keep you from okay you get involved with those things rather than God's work which is promoting God's work God's kingdom which is by faith the true work of God in people's lives comes By faith, by faith in God, by knowing, loving, and trusting God. Sound teaching is focused on faith in Christ. Sound teaching is focused on faith in Christ, not speculations, uh, spiritual hunches, uh, hidden messages that no one's ever seen before. God's work is furthered in your own life as you believe God and as you trust God. God's plan is to save people by faith. And then as Paul says in in Colossians 1, that that we would continue in faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope of the gospel. In other words, we begin by faith and we press on, we we advance all the way through life in everything, in every aspect of growth by faith and trust in God. Romans 1.17, the righteous person shall live by faith. Many Christian people think they're quite advanced because of what they know or information they know about God or the Bible, but they don't trust God or believe God in daily life. We are, as saved people, we are a people who believe God. We enter by faith and we walk by faith as a way of life. Everything comes to us through faith. We just spent many weeks in the book of Hebrews, the main theme of that whole, that whole book is 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we hold fast to our confidence, firm, until the end. We walk by faith. And the fruit of that faith is love. And this is at the heart of sound teaching. We, we are to grow up in every aspect into Christ through love. Paul said, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, but the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Uh, he told Timothy, the goal, this is from the New American Standard, but it says the goal of our teaching is love. ESV says aim, but the, uh, but the goal of our instruction or the goal of our teaching is love. Love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The gospel message has a goal. And what you think that goal is will affect how you live. Not seeing the goal will lead you to miss the goal. And this is not a small problem. The ability to read the Bible and then to emphasize the wrong thing is, is simply amazing. It is always a battle to keep the main thing the main thing. I had a, a quote from a commentary. I don't know who said this, so I'll have to share it with you as an unnamed uh, source. But said this, even sound teaching may not produce this kind of love if people lose sight of the goal of biblical instruction. In other words, the study of the word is never to be an end in itself. It is meant to be an end, an indispensable. It is a means to an end, an indispensable means but the end is the character of Jesus Christ produced in the believer by the fruit of the Spirit. When we study and teach the Word, this must ever be in front of our minds. The end is love for God and love for men. The Apostle John said that nothing shows or proves that we know God like love. First, uh, first John 4, 7 through 12 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And in verse 12, if we love one another, God lives in us. What a precious promise. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, and this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Romans 13, 9, Paul said, all that God has commanded is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesians 5, 2, Paul said, and we are to walk in love, or we are to live a life of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so love comes not from focusing on endless questions or speculations or things about which we cannot know uh, the truth, not on focusing on unsubstantiated possible spiritual ideas and experiences. Love comes from a pure heart and a good conscience 
and a sincere faith. Amen. And so I want to break, break these down and just talk about each of these uh, a little bit. First, love comes a, from a pure heart. Jesus Christ is the only one who can give you a pure heart. And praise God, the, there is power in the new birth to cleanse your heart. It's good news. The gospel is good news. Christ changes uh, our hearts. He does that by sending his spirit into our hearts. And it is the miracle of the new birth that cleanses our hearts from evil and selfish motives and enables us to love people. It's so important that we talk about love from a pure heart today because in our world, love is defined as approval of every kind of lifestyle and all sexual immorality. Love is defined. I mean, if you, as somebody, if you talk about love in our culture, you are just automatically talking about love as defined, or defined as inclusion, tolerance, even celebration of sin. There is no concern with purity of heart. But Christian love is rooted in a pure heart. Christian love comes out of a pure heart. It's rooted in purity and obedience to God. Uh, the Apostle John said, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. We don't truly love people when we are agreeing with their sin or denying the reality of sin. We are only truly loving people when we are loyal to God and to His commands. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Second, love comes from a good conscience. Christ alone can totally deal with our sins and with the guilty feelings that accompany our sin. Hebrews 10, 2-4 says that the sacrifices of the Old Testament would have stopped if they had been able to clear our conscience. Quoting from that passage, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sin or would no longer have had any consciousness of sins. But that didn't happen because in those sacrifices there was actually a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And that imperfect cleansing of our conscience is contrasted with the perfect ability of Christ's sacrifice, his blood, to deal with our sins forever and therefore to deal with, this, with the problems of sin continually weighing on our conscience year after year, day after day. And I'll tell you this, uh, no one living under the crushing weight of a condemned conscience will really be able to love anybody. When you've got a condemned conscience, all you can think about is yourself and your own performance and either seeking to justify or excuse yourself. It's only when you've been set free through the blood of Christ that you're really free to love people. But Christ, He not only cleanses our conscience, He also empowers us to live with a good conscience by releasing us 
from the bondage of living in sin day after day after day. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's, it's that actually being released from, sin, from just living a life of sin that releases us out from underneath this condemnation. So I, I look at it as kind of two aspects. It's just, it's just like with our sins, uh, our sins are forgiven through Christ Jesus, but the gospel doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop merely with forgiveness. It, it goes on to release us from the problem of actually living in sin, okay? And it's the same thing with our conscience. The blood of Christ cleanses our conscience. And believe me, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can ever quiet your guilty conscience. It's the only thing that can wash away that sin and, and give you that feeling of, of, a, of a cleansed conscience. But he also goes on to free us from living in a pattern of sin that our conscience would perpetually condemn. Do you know what I mean? Are you, are you following me? Um, our conscience tells us when we are doing good or doing bad. It, it approves or it approves what we're doing or it accuses what we're doing. It says, no, that wasn't right. It, Paul said, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. So having a good conscience means that we are doing what is good. We are only able to do what is good by the release from sin that Christ worked in us by sending his spirit into our hearts to give us new hearts empowered to live for Jesus. Now, when we do sin, we consciously bring our sin under the blood of Christ. And I think that's really important. When we're aware that our conscience is, is, is uh, condemning or accusing, when we're aware that we've, we've sinned, we, we need to go back and just consciously place that sin under the blood of Jesus Christ to cover it and cleanse us and to get back into that state where we have confidence before God and our, confident, our conscience is, in a sense, cleansed and clean before God. And then, we be, and then we, from that state, we go on living, seeking to live in a good conscience. And we can only live in a good conscience because... Christ brought us out from the bondage of sin and we can begin to do those things by the power of the Spirit that our conscience will say is good. And then Paul ends up that, you know, we love comes from a pure heart, uh, from a good conscience, and then he says love comes from a, a sincere faith or a genuine faith. Again, everything that we have from God, everything that God has for us comes through faith, by grace, through faith. 
we are, we are justified by faith in God. We have peace with God through faith. And the love of God is poured out into our hearts through faith. And so we've already said a, a lot on this, but it's just that love is the fruit of sincere faith. Then a final warning from Paul in verse 6, and this is going to sound a little bit like a, like a repeat, but since Paul repeats himself, I'm going to too. Uh, verse 6, certain persons by swerving or turning away from these have wandered away f- into vain discussion. Some have turned away from these. Well, what is the these? Well, it's just what he said. Some have turned away from love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some people have missed the whole point. They've turned away from these things that are the goal of our instruction and they've turned away to focus on things that either don't matter or are just meaningless and don't further God's work in your life and heart. So, I think we, we have to ask ourselves, are we, are we centered, are we focused on this primary goal, the, the, the greatest commandment, that we love God and love each other? And maybe at some point in your life, you really were focused on loving God and loving other people, but... Maybe something else has become your focus or spiritual emphasis. You know, many years after Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, but I have this against you, that you've lost your first love or left your first love. You have abandoned, abandoned or departed from the love that you had at first. It's just so dangerous to get distracted, to get pulled away from lose our, to lose our focus, to, to forget in all that we do and undertake as a church and all that we teach and all that we talk about. To just, to, it's so easy to forget that the goal of our teaching, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. It's easy to think that we've gone a long way spiritually with just correct information, and we haven't. Paul said, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Just mere knowledge, just mere information makes people arrogant and proud. It's it's love that edifies. Peter said, above all else, above all, love each other fervently because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4.8. So this is not a side issue. It is the goal of the gospel. And we see it all throughout, uh, all throughout the, the New Testament, all throughout the letters to the churches. I mean, love, love, love one another. Love one another just as God in Christ has loved you. Husbands, you're to love your wives. Women are to love their husbands and to love their children. We are all to love each other deeply from the heart. And Paul says this is the goal of our instruction. True sound doctrine or true sound teaching will make us more loving people. Sound doctrine will make us more compassionate, more caring, more selfless, 
more loving. It will make us more like Christ. And the warning of this passage is to stay away from different doctrines, speculations, endless questioning, endless words that don't accomplish that purpose in your life. Stay away from things that keep you from the goal of God for your life, which is to become a man, a woman, a young person who loves God and loves other people. Let's pray.